I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My career crisis. This is My Career Crisis. Hello. Thanks so much for downloading and sticking with us right to the end of season two. Um, wow. What a season. Fantastic stories. Some fantastic advice from you, Sue. Have you enjoyed this? Very much. Aren't the people who make the effort to come and see us and write us emails wonderful? They've got some really interesting problems. And I think all we do is clarify. We just help them think it through. They're all very bright, articulate people. We're very lucky to have them in the programme. Yeah, excellent. Their crisis is our excellent podcast. So thank you very much for sharing them with us. Um, we do get lots of emails and we're going to do this episode what we did at the end of season one, which is we're going to have a post bag because we get emails through some people who want to come on, but we just can't make it work or whatever it is. So we've got a really nice selection of uh, crises that we hope are going to be interesting for you as well. Um, so this first one, I really like Sue. So it's from one of the very few men who've got in touch with the programme, uh, a guy called Simon who, well, it's very straightforward. I mean, he says that he has never stayed in the same country since leaving university. Just a year or two, he's gone from New Zealand to London to Amsterdam to Canada, now back to Amsterdam. And he wrote this email that was more of a just sort of a, a, a it was just a comment on the, the kind of the life, the working life of your average millennial these days. He just said, you know, is it a millennial thing? Am I scared of commitment? Am I scared to even commit to a country that I'm quite happy just to up sticks and moves? He says, he says it seems to be that he can't leave a company without moving overseas with nothing in place, no real plan, just gets up and go, you know, get, gets up and just moves on. Um, and he thinks it's a common problem for his generation. And he said, you know, he's not necessarily looking for answers, but he thought, is this something that think, you know, we think is a common problem for millennials? Oh, what do you think, Sue? No, I don't, <laughs> I don't think. I think it's your problem, Simon. Sorry to be so blunt. But... Um, Right, millennials, you know, let's label everything. Let's put a label on it and then have that group think about that's what millennials do. Um, I have a daughter who's a millennial and has stayed and developed her career. She's worked for lots of different employers, but always in London and mm -hmm. has just worked hard and has progressed because that's what she wants to do. I think this is more about personality, uh, background than it is. The minute we put a label on something, there's sort of like groupthink about that. You know, it's very tabloidy. Let's so millennials are snowflakes. I know plenty of millennials who are not. I'm glad that no one really uses that term anymore. It was really horrible. Oh, you know, and, yeah. and who invented it in the first place? It's... It, 
you know, well, we all know what I think about women's magazines, mm. but it's also about things like, you know, you must have this. No, we mustn't have it. Challenge everything that you see. So going back to it, what a lucky boy. What's he moaning about? <laughs> That's you know, true. He's, he's lived in all these different environments. Um, he says he's worked in all different sectors. He's worked in, his main skill is finance, but he's worked in an ad agency. He's worked for an interior design company. He's now back in Amsterdam with a startup that he started with his friends. So it sounds like he's having a whale of a time. I yeah. wonder whether he's just trying to make himself feel better by oh, saying... Oh, Simon, stop showing off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like, this is a common problem. Everybody does this. But, you know, Simon, I don't think it's a problem. I just say, go for it. It's not bothering you. Why do people change their behaviour? People change their behaviour because there are consequences to the behaviour that they're following usually negative. So they think, I have to do something about this. Doesn't sound to me as though Simon's had much negative so far. So good on you. And um, every time you... It's wonderful working in uh, different countries. I'm wondering if he found somebody he wanted to have a relationship with or... Um, he found a company which really did pique his interest and maybe a startup is one such because it's going to be his baby. Um, maybe that might make him think about putting down a few more roots. Yeah, if this but- takes off, it's a men's underwear uh, business online, of course. Because there's a gap in the market for that, according you know, to Simon. And it's, that Sounds sort of great. thing <laughs> is based in Amsterdam, but it actually could be based anywhere. Yeah. I mean, the technology means something different now. And I think the messages, I mean, I remember when I first left university, I taught for a little while, for which I was totally unsuited. And um, and I decided to leave and join a media organisation. And my mother was just aghast <laughs> at this and she, because I was taking a drop in salary. And she said to me, but, but it's got a pension. And I happened to point out that I was 22 at the time. And I've never regretted that decision but um, I didn't feel the need to move to another country because what I had was here. And what Simon seems to be saying is, what a great life I have. Yeah. And I just think that's wonderful. True. And, you know, that the world does seem like a slightly smaller place. The Western world seems like a smaller place these days. It's easy to make that move. Well, pre-Brexit, it's easy to make the move, especially to places like Europe, where it's, you know, it's cheap to live. Yeah. If you're in the right place, you could actually have a really nice life, work-life balance, you know, certainly better than in London, I'm sure. So I think it's just... It, there's definitely more freedom. Maybe that's what it is. There's just more freedom. There's more of a kind of like, sure, I'll just go and do it because the world seems like a smaller place. Canada doesn't seem that far away, I, maybe. I think there is this whole emphasis on things like the gig economy. So people get a gig and they do it for a while. I mean, there are implications for that longer term, obviously, which people need to think about. But the, the whole zeitgeist at the moment is do something if you are enjoying it, if you're getting a lot out of it, that's wonderful. If you're not, move on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so the whole the whole way people think about work now, I think, is is changing. And he hasn't had negative consequences to what he's doing, so he's keeping doing it. Good on you. Yeah. Good luck, Simon. Let us know how it goes with the uh, online men's underwear business. There's so people, so many people are going to be listening to this and just thinking, what is his problem? Totally. How jealous am I? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks for getting in touch anyway, Simon. Um, so Cherie has come in uh, with an email. She says, I worked for a manager who had absolutely no emotional intelligence. She was controlling and a micromanager. I was at a stage in my career when I was not experienced enough to brush it off and get on with the job, which I think is common, isn't it? I lost a lot of confidence and began to hate my job. She then talks about how this huge negativity around the actual work. She hated it. Then they went on this course together where they could give feedback to each other, which just sounds crazy. I would love to have been a fly on the wall at that particular session. But she said, the boss said to her, 
you need to be more confident. And she said to her boss, you never listen to anything I say. And she said after that, things did improve. Then she went off on maternity leave. She's come back. The boss has left and she's been promoted twice. So her question, so things are good now, all is well. But she says, I would like to have known how I could have improved the situation at the time, because had she not left, I don't know how I would have survived. Uh, well, you would have, but it, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. Um, I think it's very interesting, this emphasis on the other person. So this person has no emotional intelligence. Sometimes people are just different from you. You know, they're different to you. They are different um, in how they see the world. And what's interesting, when she had this conversation and said how she felt, there was a change. So this woman is perhaps not the heartless beast that we may have thought. That shows some level of emotional intelligence, doesn't it? Exactly. She took what she said and, and she took it on board. But also, and I'm absolutely not trying to blame Cherie here, but I want just to have a look at this in a different way. While you are, it's a very human characteristic to blame other people. And while you blame other people, what's quite handy about that is you don't have to look at your own behaviour. And I think our first starting point, whenever something doesn't go wrong, is, OK, what did I contribute to this? Sometimes the answer may be nothing. OK, then blame, fine. But can you see what happens is it's sort of a mind trick that if I blame, if I put my focus on this other person, I, I run a course um, called Dealing with Difficult People. And you'll not be surprised to know that every time I run it, it is oversubscribed. And um, when we get everybody at the beginning and we go around and I say, why are you on the course? And they invariably have a tale of somebody that they work with who is very difficult. To, and, I, and I let them get it out of their system. I, I can only t stand it for about half an hour and then I snap. <laughs> and uh, I say, OK, right. Though it's, these difficult people aren't here. So I've got you here under false pretenses because actually we're going to focus this whole day about you and your ability to deal with some of these things. I've had people that I've worked with who are really saying, I'm, I'm chucking it in, I'm leaving this company, I'm moving somewhere else. And I would never talk people out of doing that if that's really what they want. But the point I make to them is, fine, do that. But do you think that this new place that you're going to go will be totally free of this sort of person? People like this are everywhere. And the minute we vilify them and we call them, you know, the villain and we say it is their fault, well, that's really good, isn't it? Because it gets us off the hook. So I think you have to learn how to deal with this. I mean, if I had my way, I would, um, you know, like they're doing things like mindfulness and stuff in primary schools. Mm. I would actually teach assertiveness techniques mm. in primary school because I think, and when I say assertive, it means building a child's confidence. If a child is confident, there are so many things that are open to them that are not if they're shy and lack confidence. And it's interesting also some of the language around this where she says, you know, this woman affected my confidence. Well, this woman gave you some stuff that you actually absorbed, you know. And I know I, I don't want to be too glib about this because I know some of these situations are very difficult. But it's about you saying, right, what do I need to do? Now, some tips. What assertiveness is about, really, is about believing that you are as important as anybody else. You're not more important and you're not less important. And that also means your boss. So you're in a team, you're trying to create a result, a product, whatever. Your input is as important as hers was. If you had gone earlier and said, look, I am finding some of this quite difficult. But the, the key also is to start words with sentences with the word I and not you. Because then you're talking about how you think and feel, not what about the other person. And that's easier for them to hear. And it's not an attack as well. It's not an attack. It's not an attack. So instead of saying, I don't think you listen, if you can say, I'm not 
clear about what you said or I need for me I need a bit more information so that I can do this usually if you say that people are more than happy to to tell you obviously pick your moment not when they're very fraught when they're about to go into a busy meeting but you need to focus more on about what you need to do your job the best way you can and to focus it like that rather than saying you don't do this that's not going to go down well no matter who you say it to I thought you were going to say on your course that you did, after half an hour, you'd go, well, behind this curtain, <laughs> and you'd draw it back and there'd be the person and then they'd just have a massive punch up. That'd I mean, normally fun. at the end of that course, it's very interesting because people say, I've just realised that I've probably made a situation worse quite a lot of the time. They're not an easy person. They're not going to get easier. And, and uh, the thing I always, I mean, I have a lot of friends who've got married to people saying, yeah, but I'm going to change them and they are all divorced. Yes, yes, 100%. You can't change other people people you can change the way that you react to other people and you know what's weird when you do that often they are different to you yeah of course because it's a two-way it is a relationship isn't it so how you change the way you relate to them it will naturally change the way they relate to you whether or not it's conscious or not yeah definitely so if you're the one who makes the conscious change you could actually see it come back to you that's an experiment if you're listening and you are in this position try it give it a go also i mean just a tip on Dealing with critical feedback, right? So somebody, first of all, you know, when I say to people, how good are you at dealing with, I don't say accepting because sometimes the feedback is wrong. How good are you at dealing with critical feedback? They often say, well, I mean, if it's done with respect, if they make it very constructive, I can do that. Well, that's no big deal. You know, anybody can do that. It's when somebody's shouting at you or they're being unfair of, I mean, I'm sure they don't mean it. It's just that's how they're seeing the situation. And the first thing to do is stay just really calm and repeat back the criticism. I mean, I remember once doing a piece of work for somebody and they said they just said to me in exasperation, this is crap, do it again. <laughs> now, I've What always, did you say? <laughs> well, I ended up having an argument with them because, you know, I hadn't done the work on myself that I have done since. Um, but uh, when you do have an argument, all they can then say is you're not very good at taking criticism, are you? No, I'm not very good at taking crap criticism. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm not very good at. But first of all, what you've got to realise is that most people are not very good at giving criticism. Now, what I would do now, if anybody was stupid enough to say that to me now, is I would say, look, obviously I'm very disappointed. But when you say it's crap, could you just show me exactly what you mean? And nine times out of ten, a critic will say to you, actually, crap's a bit harsh. What I meant was, Mm -hmm. you know, um, remember, even though somebody's giving you criticism and it's coming out very badly, it doesn't mean it's wrong because they might have a point, God forbid. And what's important to me is if I'm annoying my manager, I'm not doing the work that I need to do for him or her, unless I have some information about it, I can't change what I'm doing. But also there's something other subtly happening here, which is that if you are a person who is going to challenge your manager, but in a very good productive way, your manager then strangely manages to give you feedback better because they relax a bit more around it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And um, so your ability to deal with criticism, I think, is something which is really, really important. I think you're right, because people don't like to criticise and they will be having the same adrenaline rush as you. Their heart will also have gone up a bit. Their heart rate will have increased. They'll be thinking this could potentially become a conflict situation. And when you diffuse that, 
they go, oh, oh, hang on, this is actually going to be quite a nice conversation. I mean, call me a cockeyed optimist. Many people have. But I, I do believe that most people, I know there are some exceptions and I've met them, but most people, no matter how difficult they are, do not lie in bed in the morning thinking, how can I screw her <laughs> life up today? You're really not that important. <laughs> right, let's move on to Becky. Uh, Becky's got in touch um, with a very specific question about her pay rise, Sue. Um, and I wish I'd had some advice from you in my days of asking for pay review, you know, pay reviews because I was just disastrous at them. Anyway, she says she has a one-to-one pay review in February. Every time what happens is her manager, the owner of the business, just hands her a letter with a big smile on her face with this pay review in it as as if, you know, it's a 20 grand hike, uh, looking really pleased with herself and it's never enough. And so Becky says, I've never challenged it in the past, even though I don't feel like the rise reflects what I've added to the role. She says, I've taken your advice on board, which is good because we have talked about this a lot. She says, I've got a figure in my head of what I think it should be based on. So uh, of what I think it should be based on the extra responsibilities I've taken on this year and the value she's added to the company, Mm. the experience that I offer. And she's benchmarked uh, with other similar jobs. Um, Although she's found that a bit hard, she says, but we don't know anything more about her job, so we can't kind of go into that. But I, I guess that's something you either know what other people are earning or you don't. Well, one one thing you can do to do that, I mean, if you go, for example, to an employment agency. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, this isn't too bad a, a thing to do anyway, because what you will get from someone, you may not feel like you want to leave, but actually going, and they, they will give you quite a reasonable assessment of what your job prospects are elsewhere. And they will also say the sorts of salaries in similar jobs. So they will tell you that. What interesting. you could get. Yeah, interesting. And why not just do it? I mean, if you're unhappy anyway, why not just go and, and have that experience? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a really good to know that you're marketable, Yeah. to know that you could get a job somewhere else. They will often give you tips about your CV mm-hmm. as well. And you may, you, um, you know, you're not trying to get something for nothing. You may well then use them in the future. Yeah. So it, that's not a bad thing to do anyway. Um, but benchmarking is quite important because mm. if you're really out of whack with the um, industry that you're working in, <clears throat> that's worth that's worth talking about. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, she says now, do because it's February that this pay review happens. Do I wait and sit till this one to one? Um, see what the letter says, and if it falls short of expectations, raise it in the meeting. I think we can assume it's going to fall short of your expectations. She says, or should I set the ball rolling beforehand that my expectations of this pay review will be different to previous years based on the significant role change? Right. First of all, because she said nothing heretofore, she, her manager has got the impression that she's perfectly happy with the pay rises. See, this is another reason why you should deal with things when they're small so they don't get big. Yeah, And something that she has to remember is that when she has this conversation, so firstly, her expectations are not good, right? She Because based on previous experience. But Danette, let's not blame the manager for that. We've allowed that manager to get away with that because she's never said a word against it. So the manager will feel this is just a normal um, chat about it. And it's she doesn't say how this pay rise is, um, how, how it arises, how, what it's based on. Now, This is also situational because if you're in a very big company that makes a lot of profits, that's one thing. If you're in a very small company, which really has to have a look at how have we done this year? Yeah, it sounds like the latter. If she says she's sitting down with the owner of the business, who's her manager, 
I'm imagining it's... I mean, what's good about that then is the manager is actually thinking about giving her pay rises. Mm. I know a lot of small businesses Mm -hmm. that have not actually given pay rises for three or four years because they haven't earned the money. Mm. And obviously you want to give something because if you've got good people, you want them to stay with you. There are market forces at work here. Um, But I think what she's saying is that there has been a job change. Mm. Okay. I'd be interested to know, has there been a job title change? Because that obviously adds quite a lot more impetus to your um, application. Um, But I would be making a business case. And the key to this is, and we've said this before, do not make it emotional. Do not make it about rejecting of you as a person. It's often a decision about what the, the, the business can bear. So I'd like to know a bit more about how well the business has been working. Um, you know, have they increased their profits year on year? Because if they have, then there is no excuse not to help somebody. But they might have used some of those profits to reinvest in the business. Um, there might be capital investment, all that sort of stuff, which you should try and think about. But if she feels that her role has um, fundamentally changed, that what she is doing now is more than and different to what she was doing a year, 18 months ago, that sounds to me like a strong business case. A hundred percent. Yeah. So but work it out. Don't go Mm. in and just make it up as you go along. Work out what you're going to do. And it might be worth in the new year, probably. Let's get Christmas out of the way um, to give the manager a heads up by saying, look, and I would say this face to face. Don't write it in an email. You can back it up in an email if you feel that's necessary. I know we're having our chat about pay in February, but just to say, because of the nature of the change of my job, I would really like to discuss to discuss a significant mm-hmm. in, or, or an increase in, in my salary. Because mm-hmm. often what people give you is a cost of living increase. Um, but what you're arguing now is that the nature of the job has actually changed. You are more value to the business now. And the other question she has to ask herself is, what does she do if the manager doesn't go along with it? Mm. Now, you know, everything, you weigh up everything because she may love her job. um, But, you know, my daughter recently has left, she's a freelance anyway, but she has left a job because she went and asked for more, more money or a change in title, which both were very feasible. And her manager said, no, the company couldn't afford it. I just, I know that's not true. So then you're left with a decision, well, what do I do about that? And what she's done is left. Mm. And it's actually caused her a little bit of upset because she loved the company and she loved what she was working on. But she's left and she's got a changing job and she's got more money. And actually, sometimes you can go back to the original company two or three years later and they will be more happy to pay you more money then mm-hmm. for some strange reason. Oh, yeah. that's It always goes around like that. It yeah. boggles my mind. But if you're someone who just accepts the status quo or seems to accept, which she has done, let's f- be fair, she may be seething with resentment, but the manager has not had an indication of that. So the other, the other part of this you have to think about is what will happen if I am disappointed? Mm. The worst thing that can happen is that you stay and get resentful. She sounds like she already is resentful. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just add to that. And and you cannot blame a manager. No, I have been a manager. And one of the most frustrating things for me is when somebody decides to leave and you're having a little chat with them before they go and they say, you know, if you had done this, I might have stayed. And 
I, I really try and keep my temper. But it's so when did you mention that you wanted that or needed yeah. that? Because I don't remember that conversation. I'm not a mind reader. It's not my job to get into your head. And people say, well, you know, it was obvious. No, it was obvious to you. It wasn't obvious to me. So blame managers all you like, but have the conversation first. If they don't give you what you want, then decide what am I prepared to do? You don't have to do anything hurriedly. And if the manager said... Um, do you know what? I think you're absolutely right about this, but the business cannot bear that. You should have a good idea whether or not that's true or not. But then I'd be looking forward to a promise of a revision. In six months In or six something. months. Yeah, yeah. In six months. Yeah. Well, when do you think that that would be on the cards? Mm. And if I like the company and I think that's reasonable, I may stay. If it's not, and there's no hurry about this, but I might be looking around to find something that is that suits my pay scale better. Yeah. It sounds like that is excellent advice for you, Becky. I hope that did help. But um, don't be emotional no, about it. Please try not to. Yeah, that's the that is the best bit of advice I think I've taken away from this entire series, Sue. It's just to like stop crying about stuff. So well, well we <laughs> look. I'm a very emotional person, right? But emotion often is not a good look, and particularly if you're a woman. Because they sort of half expect you to either cry or get very upset about stuff. And um, I think you can be easily discounted if you do that. It's just, oh, she's being a bit silly. Mm. You know, she'll she'll think better of it. When you go in and say, right, this is my business case, they have to take you more seriously. That doesn't mean to say you'll get what you want. So what you have to think about is what do I do if I don't get what I want? And rationally make that decision. Don't go off in a half. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Um, we've got a, an email here from somebody who I, I like this one particularly because we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking to people who are in boring jobs or working for big businesses they don't like and they want to go off and do something creative. And this person, Inez, has um, 
sent us a message. How does someone with global experience experience within small businesses working as a fashion sales person running her own business make the transition into a larger corporate? So it's interesting, going the other way. In my experience, they seem to be very wary of anyone who is not already corporate trained. Blue chips seem to be almost impossible to crack into when you are coming from a different sort of business setup. Is it because they think we are too free or not able to speak the right corporate language? Perhaps I need to create a corporate-friendly CV. Perhaps it's more complicated than that. That's an interesting one. Right. Uh, I mean, I think that's a really big generalisation. Okay. Because I know a lot of corporates who don't think like that. And I think it's a very interesting conundrum because often we get it the other way around, that you've got someone who's working in a big corporate. Oh, it's sucking out my soul. I want to go and do something else. And this person seems very grown up you know seems very grown up because she's saying do you know what I actually want to pay yeah. every month I you know yeah. I want to work somewhere where there's career progression that's not for everybody but this is what she wants and that's stability and all those things yeah. yeah important and there are huge perks to I mean I know we've had a spate of people who all feel like running off and joining the circus and, and, <laughs> and that is fine but actually sometimes people you have to be fundamentally suited to be freelance or get lots of little jobs and what she seems to be saying is she's crying out for the stability of a big corporation. Now, there are other issues about that. And one of the things she really needs to think about as well, when I know, for example, I am unemployable, um, quite happily unemployable. I'm a natural freelance. I did work for a very big company for a long time and I got a lot out of that and I left. And But I know now that I am so used to making my own decisions and deciding what I want to do that I would be difficult I'd get frustrated uh, in the confines of a big company. So it's not for me. But Ines thinks it is for her. But I would still say, then you're going to have to be dancing to somebody else's tune. And how happy are you to do that? Now, if you look at the compensation, you might say, I'm very happy to do that. Thank you very much. This is what I'm aching for. That's great. So how do you do it? When she says corporate up my CV, I mean, it'd be very interesting to see her CV. Because and, and, and what's good, if you Go on the website of some of these places that you've targeted that you want to work. Often when they're advertising jobs, they will have things like job description stuff. Look at the language that is being used in those and try to mirror them in your CV. Actually use the words. Now, some big companies use algorithms to actually sort out CVs. And so it's not a person making that decision at all. It's an algorithm. And the way that the algorithm basically works is that they say this is what we're looking for. If your CV doesn't repeat back some of those terms and um, experiences that they're targeting in that job description, the algorithm just sifts you out. Even though a person reading it might have been able to think into and say, oh, no, no, they have got that. They've got transferable skills. You have to answer what they're actually asking for. And if you don't do it in quite um, a, a specific way, you might not get even through the shortlisting. The other thing that you can do, we mentioned in the previous example about employment agencies. Well, employment agencies deal with big corporations a lot of the time. So why don't you go and see one of them and say, this is my experience. This is what I want to do. Um, how do I change my CV? Could you give me an interview? And the other thing that you can do is find out the name of somebody. And you can often do that from websites. And actually ask them if you can come in and have a chat. And a surprising number of people will say yes. But think about what you're going to say when you're on the phone. Don't sound flaky. 
I'm sure she's not flaky, but think I'm talking to a corporate person. So what would be a good opening gambit? You know, I have run businesses. I have turned profits. I um, think I know the customer very well. Um, could I come in and have a chat and see what opportunities might be in your company? But make them very businesslike uh, phrases. I would even write out a couple of things so that you don't forget it. So there's lots of things that you can do. I think if we got her in front of somebody in a corporation, it sounds like she's got a lot of valuable transferable experience. Make it easy for people to employ you. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, Sue. Last one then for the post bag is from Laura, who says, I graduated from university last summer and immediately found a job as an admin assistant with a small engineering company, which sounded promising as it would allow me to use my foreign language skills. Seven months later, I'm extremely bored and frustrated <laughs> because I don't actually do anything at my job. She then goes on to talk about how little work she does. Literally, she says something like two hours a day doing anything really that constitutes work. Um the boss is aware of this. She's been promised extra roles. Nothing has materialised, despite my reminding them repeatedly, she says. I'm looking for other jobs with no success. And I've started giving private language tutoring in the evenings, which I really enjoy because uh, I feel like I'm using my skills. When I've got nothing to do at work, I spend my time preparing for my tutoring sessions, which I love. I love doing other work on somebody else's pay time. That's just brilliant. Or pointlessly browsing the internet to keep occupied. I'm worried I could lose my job at any moment if anyone realises. Never mind checks my browsing history. But I don't know what else to do with my time. She says, is this normal? Look for another job. <laughs> yeah, Why out. are you still there? Get out. Oh, it sounds like she's got really good skills. If she's obviously, she's, you know, skilled enough to teach foreign languages and things. She sounds like she's got some great, a good CV already, probably. It, right. So she's got stuck in this job. Uh, she's and also it, what it sounds like if she's not careful she's becoming a pest as mm, well. Mm -hmm. I ask my boss repeatedly. Mm, that right? jumped out at me as well. Yeah, your boss can only give you something she's got if she hasn't got stuff. Also, there's this there's this sort of myth that you know if I work hard and I keep my nose clean, I keep my head down. It's real Cinderella. You know, one day my prince will come. No, it won't. You have to go and find him. And. Um, if you are really good at your job and you're not someone who makes a fuss, the chance, what possible incentive is there for your manager to find you something else to do? Yeah. That's the job you're employed to do. Now, I'm not saying don't ask, and she's done the right thing. She's shown initiative, she's gone and asked, but she's not getting the answer that she wants. And uh, how long has she been there? She's only been there... Oh, she graduated last summer. So less than a year. Really not long. Less than a year. <laughs> yeah. Right, less than a year. So, um, but you have to make things happen. Now, f first of all, so she's got um, uh, s skills and languages. Oh, my God, oh God, I'd wear that on a post around my neck if totally. it was me. Yeah. So, first of all, let do some digging on social media, right? So look at Facebook. Put in um, foreign language associations or anything like that. Put when if you then join, say I am looking a job for a job that will help me use my languages. I am fluent in Spanish or Italian or whatever it is. Um, contact organisations like the Alliance Française uh, in London or um, send letters to embassies. Having a, a language skill is hugely um, marketable. But you have to put yourself in the market so that they can they can see you. She's stuck in this engineer. She's got her head down in the engineering thing. She's doing little bits like tutoring, but she's not actually seriously looking for another job. 
So she's a good administrator. She's doing that part of the job really well. Um, I'm just thinking in the city, there are banks that need languages if to be an administrative assistant. So I really think you've, she's got to start um, scoping what the jobs are. That would be a useful thing to do if, you know, she's got a bit of extra time. But yes, she, you, you mustn't look as though you're really dissatisfied and bored because that's not going to actually help you. When you, when you apply for a job, it's very interesting. Um, so you get a job. And within five minutes, people are looking for the next job. <laughs> and as an employer, that's annoying. You know, you have applied for this job. So do this job or don't go somewhere else. And it's very annoying. You start getting a job and then all of a sudden you're asking the manager to provide you with extra opportunities. If the manager's very busy, that's probably quite low on their priorities. So do it yourself. And also maybe if you, you know, you've got these language skills, think about going and working in those countries absolutely possibly turn it on its head do something different you're young and free <laughs> goodness sake <laughs> but, but again it's something that we've come up against in quite a lot of the letters sometimes people say you know why doesn't my manager do this for me and there's there's a passivity to that which is sad because I think you you have to try and do things for yourself the worst thing that can happen is they say no and you go somewhere else no won't kill you Staying and working in a company which is boring you to death, I'm not saying it will kill you, but you're not going to have a very happy <laughs> life. Um, and I know it's scary, and I'm big sexual stereotype coming up here. I know women, a lot of women don't like making themselves vulnerable or make, perhaps they'll feel foolish if they fail. But we've said so many times, failing makes you. Knowing how to deal with failure, it makes you a much better person. Um and this is just so safe. You just need to do something else. One of the things that I did, and which I think really helped me um, develop as a person, was that I did quite a few temp jobs. And the whole basis of that is that you go in, you have to be good at getting to know people quickly, you do the best job you can, and in, inevitably you then move on to somewhere else. So that that constantly going somewhere else was very good. But also what it did, sometimes you, la you landed in a place and you thought, I really like it here. And then you can go and see HR or you can go and see whoever and say, is there any possibility of working here full time? So, you know, that will make you rent. That will give you a deep, probably she'll earn more than she earns at the engineering company. Um, we can worry about the pension in a couple of years. Get stuck in, get a bit more variety and then decide what you want to do. Temping's brilliant. No one talks about temping anymore. All my friends and I temped when we first came to London yeah. um, years ago. That, that was it. And actually a lot of people ended up in, in stable jobs as a result of you, temping. That's where you find out. That's how you get into these corporate companies. You temp for them. Yeah. And, uh, and the great thing is as well, sometimes you go to places and you think this is dreadful, but you're only there for a while. And then you can move on to something else. That's it. And you don't get embroiled in the office politics. You're just kind of wandering around on the outside and then you, you either just, you know, either stay or you just get to walk away. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Sue, that's it. That's the end of another series of My Career Crisis. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And it's been so lovely to have such a great variety of people coming in. But of course, we need more. Yes, we do need more. So please do get in touch. Info at chalkandblade.com. Um, and also if there's a specific topic or theme that you want Sue to get really get her teeth into, um, things that you think we should be talking about, get in touch, let us know. Um, and uh, drop us an email at info at chalkandblade.com. Uh, find us on Twitter at My Career Crisis and rate and review us on iTunes, please. Tell us, tell a friend. It's all really important if you do that. Um, and of course, if you have been listening to this, but you don't want to come on the podcast, but you want a one-to-one -one with Sue, then you can find her at creativepeople.tv. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, good.
She's nodding sagely. Yes, sorry, I should speak. It's radio. <laughs> Um, this has been a Rosina Sound and Chalk and Blade production. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with season three at some point soon, I promise. My job is driving me crazy. Ah, sorry. Do you hate your job or does your job hate you? Sorry. Ah, sorry. I can't find the answer to the question I heard. My career crisis. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.